Welcome back, Compass Bible Church, to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. Now that was Pastor Hayden, and this is Pastor Evan. And here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make what, Pastor Hayden? Disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people, teaching people, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do, if it's Sunday morning, Compass Kids, Compass Students, Compass Coffee Co., Compass Bookstore, in this podcast, is to fulfill that mission to reach, teach, and train. All right, Pastor Hayden, you just got done preaching uh, this morning's Sunday sermon on teamwork, on generous living, or you can almost say liberal living if Mm, you were in service. I like it. Some people were in shock. They were. I thought they were about to leave. (laughs) But that was based out of Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, and also verses 15 to 16. You know, 14 is on an island that we'll get back to. Next week. Next week. But Colossians 4, verses 12 to 13 and 15 to 16 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Continuing on in verse 15, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Now, Pastor Hayden, there's a lot in your sermon, but what are what is the focus of the sermon, and what is something that we have missed that you may have wanted to talk through that was written down in your notes or in the commentaries that you studied? The focus of the sermon was that at Compass, we must strive to be exceptional examples of the lavish generosity that God has given us, and we do that through our own commitment to generosity. And there is so much, as you're saying, to the sermon. And with, uh, you know, child dedications, it was made it very difficult to get all of the content through the sermon out. And so I had to skip over some stuff. But some point that was made in the sermon that I think needs to be uh, driven home, uh, it was that idea of being generous because of our identity, right? And Romans six twenty two says it really well. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. Now, here it is. You've been set free from sin. You are a slave to sin. Well, now we become slaves of God, and our identity is now being owned by God to do His work, that He is our master, uh, and He is uh, the one whom we receive our instructions and our way of life. Now, the, the point here is for us, as we're living audaciously generous lives, and as our church is audaciously generous, the idea is that people look and say, wow, those people are generous, right? Oh, those uh, slaves, if you will, are, are generous. And, and it's for us to look at those people and say, if you think we're generous, you should meet my master, right? I mean, if you think that I'm generous, you should meet the one who I learned it from. And for that, that's the reason that we're generous, is to glorify God, is to show people the generosity of God through ourselves, and to encourage and build up the church. And all those things should give glory to God and spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere, as, as Scripture teaches us to do. Well, Pastor Hayden, it seems like you're after my wallet. What, you mentioned this in the sermon, so it seems you're after my moolah right now. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by being generous? 
Well, we're, we're not talking about your wallet. Now, of course, when, when God gets a hold of a person, he gets a hold of their whole lives. And uh, if you're trying to withhold your wallet from God, I, th- I think that would be your problem, much like the rich young ruler uh, who uh, thought that he was uh, in right relationship with God, thought he was prepared to be in right relationship with God. But it seemed like the one thing that he was lacking was the fact that he held his wallet too tight. Right? He, he wouldn't follow God. And the problem wasn't that he didn't want to give up his money. The problem was that he didn't love God. And so we have to understand, if the question is, am I dealing with my, are you talking about my wallet? No, I'm talking about your love for God. Uh, and we didn't even really talk about the money because it isn't about the money, right? It's about being generous with, with more than your money, right? If the only thing you can be generous with is your money, you still misunderstand generosity. Generosity means my whole self. All of me is generous because of whose I am. And as Christ did not withhold himself uh, for us, we ought not to withhold any of ourself uh, for uh, the ministry, for the work of, of God, and for uh, you know, making disciples and uh, focusing on God's kingdom here. All right, Pastor Hayden, I want to go through some of my notes, and I think it might be beneficial for us to kind of go through some of the points, maybe some uh, areas that you were not able to touch on because of the abridged sermon. And so point number one, you mentioned we need to be more generous with ourselves, and this is you breaking down Epaphras's life as he gave his whole self to not only the Colossian church, but the churches in the Lycus Valley. We brought up a couple of Greek words, agonizomai and panos. So what are those words? Why is it important? Is there anything else in point number one that you wish you touched on? I like those two words because they play off of each other, uh, and you don't see it in the Greek. Uh, you don't see it in the English as much because it was in Greek. Uh, and you can skip over it really fast in the English, but Paul was making a point that it was both in Epaphras's prayer life and in his outworking of ministry that he struggled and he sacrificed and he worked hard uh, to a uh, to the point where it took a lot of personal sacrifice for Epaphras to do what he was doing and so I think those two words are, are really important and we often are going to jump over them and, and not realize that it's the theme here like I mean it's going to be it's going to take personal sacrifice to be more generous with yourself but as I just talked about, and as we've been talking about all morning, like you were bought with a price. I mean, your job now is to work for Christ, and that is to be more generous with yourself and reflect the generosity of God. And it is going to take personal sacrifice, and there is going to be pain associated with it, but that means that you're doing it right. And so, I mean, I think that's, you know, those two words, I think, aptly describe the kind of responsibility we have to be generous and kind of the pain that associates with that generosity. Now you mentioned how this reflects the painful struggle that Christ went through as he was generous with his life mm-hmm. and that his pain was vastly greater than anything we would experience. And so do you want to touch on that where how Christ, he struggled, he was, he, his sacrifice on the cross was, it was painful. It was a struggle mm-hmm. in our behalf. You know, you brought that the point to, oh, for us to remember, okay, am I really being generous? Is it really painful? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you, you really just said it. I mean, it's that Christ did not withhold himself, even his own blood that was necessary for us and, and the propitiation, right? That, that idea that, that we have now taken the place of, we have been given the righteousness of Christ. We've been imputed the righteousness of Christ uh, through his generosity. Uh, and if we've been given so much by God through his generosity, that should be the very thing uh, that marks and that defines our lives as Christians. Something I said at the 11, it's just generosity isn't an add-on of Christianity. It's not something you add to Christianity. It is Christianity. Generosity is 
Christianity. Uh, and I, yes, are there people out there who are, who are generous? Yes, but, but there cannot be Christians out there who aren't generous. Because it, it, to be a Christian means that I am generous because I've responded to the generosity of God. Therefore, I'm being conformed into the image of God, which is a generous God. And so we should be a generous people. And I think the pair of uh, the parable that you brought up in Luke 17 verses 7 through 10 is going to be helpful for us to remember it's it's our job in, in, in that and so we sometimes look for a pat on the back for something that we're supposed to be doing and so you know compass make sure you circle back to that point in the sermon under point number one when pastor Brett Hayden um Braden pastor Hayden breaks down <laughs> Luke 17 7 through 10 within that point but the clock is moving faster than we are. Mm. So point number two, Pastor Hayden, you mentioned be more generous with your stuff. Now, what do you mean by that? And what are some other things you want to dive in uh, into that text that you wish you had time for? Yeah, I mean, I think that was a, uh, I think in the context, it was very minimal. I think there's one text there that speaks to that. Of course, it's there about Nympha and how she allowed uh, her stuff, which we all found out is really just God's stuff. I mean, our stuff is just God's stuff. And the, the thing that I loved uh, that I was able to write down there and say in both services is uh, your stuff is God's stuff on lend to you to use for him. And I, I love that statement because that's what it is. Your stuff is not your stuff. And that's why, and, and you might be able to say, well, I did buy some things that God wouldn't like. Well, okay, there is your litmus test of whether or not you should be buying those things, right? You shouldn't be buying anything that God couldn't use to glorify him. So there's your first point. Don't be buying things that glorify God, because all things are God's things. And if you can't use that thing for him, you shouldn't have that thing, uh, period. Uh, now, you need to then look at, okay, how can your stuff be used by God, because it is his stuff, uh, to uh, further the mission of gospel proclamation, to build up the local church, to uh, encourage and pour into and be generous with the people that call Compass home in this context, or uh, or to be a comfort, as we talked about last week. To be, I mean, that's what your stuff is for, and, and here's why. You mean, well, what do you mean, the comfort? I mean, why do you have stuff? To give yourself comfort, right? To be generous with yourself. I mean, that's what we all do. You, know, you buy yourself a present and say, oh, I, I want to be generous to myself. I haven't been generous to myself in a while, which is probably false. We're generous to ourselves all the time. But you buy that stuff to be generous to yourself and to give comfort for yourself. And God says, consider others more significant than yourself. Right? Don't look to yourself. Don't look at yourself more highly than you ought to. So flip that around and say, why am I generous with my stuff? Because that's what it means to be Christian, that I'm no longer looking out for myself. I'm looking out for others. So therefore, my stuff needs to be looking out for others and how I can benefit them with it. I liked what you said in the sermon about making sure that as we make our retirement plans and making sure mm -hmm. we have a generosity plan and to make sure as we make up our wills, you know, I got to do that, you know, with Theodore now. It's like, all right, you know, to prayerfully think of what is God's will uh, for the stuff that I have? And so I think there's a helpful reminder to slow down and ask, okay, God, where do you want this? Mm -hmm. And for my will, it's probably going to go to Theodore. That's what probably mm -hmm. God wants to make sure I provide for my son. But to even to slow down and ask the question so I can make sure I'm being generous with God's stuff. But even even at that point, you're right. Your age, right? I mean, your assets, right? I mean, your you're right. Everything that you would have right now if you were to die would be just enough to probably take care of your family, right? Well, that's, that's a commitment, and that's a thing that we have to— uh, well, that's the thing we have to do is take care of it. If you don't take care of your immediate family, you're worse off than an unbeliever. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, Jesus also talks about this idea that uh, you can claim you're giving your stuff to God and neglect taking care of your parents 
That's what the Pharisees did. That's what the Pharisees did, right? And, and that's wrong, too. I mean, you can't just pretend like you're giving yourself to God to neglect your family. And not that many of us have that problem, but the problem is you still have a priority to take care of your family. But, like, how many people, I, you know, and I pray to be one of these kinds of people, that when I get to a certain age, I recognize that I probably have more than enough to take care of my family, right? That there's more than enough assets in my life uh, to take care of my family. Okay, great. That was your call, right, as a Christian, is to make sure your family's taken care of. Now what? Like, have you ever thought about what your other assets can be used for? Even if right, you, you may die soon, right? I mean, so, so many of you guys are thinking of end-of-life things. I mean, think about what could your, uh, wh- what can you do from a generosity perspective to not just make sure your family has uh, benefits for the future, but like your local church, right? I mean, the local missions organization. And, and I say the church and local mission organization because I don't want you to think I'm trying to get you guys to put the church in your will. But like, did you think, because you've thought, you've thought far and you thought far because you're thinking about wills. But what about a little further when you're thinking about, okay, how can you continue expanding God's kingdom even in the midst of that? And I don't want to, I don't want to dive into something so minimal in, in the concept of the sermon, but it is making a generosity plan. And it, and it is about your family, but it's more than your family. There's a couple that we know who moved out with us from California that they said, hey, we'd love to you know, finish our lives well right. by saying we're going to give up our lives to mm-hmm. say, why not finish planning a church? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we, we love that couple, and they're a great example for us to strive to be like. Right. But the clock is moving faster than we are. Okay. So we'll, real quick, we'll keep on, it up. On point number three, be more generous towards God's kingdom. Now, you brought down, you brought three problems that we will face um, and also some for us to focus on. We're not just giving stuff away. Mm-hmm. It's for focus to, on building God's kingdom. So what right. are some notes that you have for us, Pastor Hayden? Well, I uh, in being more generous with God's kingdom, I didn't even get to this point in either sermon because we didn't have enough time. But uh, you realize this letter was also read to the church in Laodicea. And uh, not too long after this, you have the John the Apostle who wrote the Revelation <laughs> the Revelation. <laughs> it's the letter of Revelation. And he, and in that, in chapter 3, he brings up the church in Laodicea again. And they have been encouraged, the church in Laodicea, to be all out for the gospel, to revere Christ as Lord, to live their lives all out for the gospel and to be generous people. And then you read, though, in Revelation 3, 14 through 22, apparently they forgot this. Because in verse, verse 15, Jesus says this about the church in Laodicea. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. He says, I wish that you were either hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth, or I want to throw you up out of my mouth. The point here is cold water, especially in the Lycus Valley, flowed uh, into the city. Fresh water, cold water. It was good for something, right? I mean, you like you like cold water. You like to drink cold water. You don't like to drink hot water. You like to drink cold water, right? Cold water is good for a lot of things. Well, they also had hot springs in the Lycus Valley, and hot water was good for things. Hot water is good for sanitizing things, cleaning things, taking showers, all those good things, right? I mean, both of those are good for something, but you know what's good for nothing? Lukewarm. Lukewarm water was good for nothing other to be thrown out, and you don't like to drink lukewarm water. You would spit that out of your own mouth. And Jesus is making a point. Like, you guys, you're not being generous. Laodicea, you, you had this letter read to you. And, and the, uh, the church, this letter we have at Colossae was also read in Laodicea. And Jesus is saying, you don't, you're not even heeding my word. And then he says in verse 18, so I'm going to counsel you to buy from me. Now, I use these other things. You should go read it if you want to know more of the context. But Jesus points them to himself and says, listen, you think you have everything you need. You say you're rich, you've prospered, and you don't need anything. But Jesus says, as a matter of fact, you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You actually don't know how much you need me. And he says, I counsel 
you to buy from me. Come to me. And in verse 19, I love it because this is the mark of a good father. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. I mean, Jesus is saying, listen, you haven't been generous. Like, you guys haven't been faithful. Your church has fallen away in so many ways uh, from what I want you to be doing. But here's an easy thing, and all of us need to take note of this. Hey, he loves us. He's going to discipline us. He's going to reprove us, and he's going to convict us. So be zealous and repent. And so even for us, maybe you haven't been this in your life as a Christian. Well, now is the time to repent, and let's go do these things so we're not going to be lukewarm Christians that, that we're useful in our lives. And so that's a good note from being more generous towards God's kingdom. If you haven't been generous towards God's kingdom, great. Repent. And let's move on, because it says, Behold, Jesus stands at the door, and if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he's going to come in. I mean, he's, he's right there, and he's saying, Hey, I'm not here to, to beat you over the head. I'm here, uh, I'm here to have you repent so we can continue doing the good work of ministry. All right. Well, uh, Compass Bible Church, we have life groups coming this week, and we have some more application questions to, to go through before we get to our life group. So, Pastor Hayden, what is a focus you want us to have as we're doing these life application questions as we present them to life group? Simple. Focus on how you can apply uh, these things to your life when it comes to generosity, when it comes to uh, even in our own life the kind of... Uh, uh, the kind of struggle it is to be generous, and not just the struggle. I'm talking about the pain associated with it. Like, what does it mean to be generous? And it does take uh, a lot out of you, of your life, your time, and your energy to be generous. And I want you to read these and apply them to your life. Uh, Compass, I, I want you to write down answers, and I want you to use uh, what do you, the first person. Use I, me, like I'm going to do this. Uh, we have great commentaries on all of these letters. We don't need more commentators. We need more people who are living out the Bible. And so I want you to use first person and, and to answer the questions in light of how you're going to apply those scriptures and those questions to your own life. And so it's simple, but something I think is going to change the whole flavor of our life groups. All right, we have our daily Bible reading spotlight. Pastor Evan, we are moving through the Old Testament, man. We are actually finishing the narrative books of the Bible, of the Old Testament Bible, excuse me. Wow. And so we, Esther will be our final narrative, and then we'll enter into Job, which enters into the poetry, you know, the, the writings section of the Old Testament that will be there for quite for, uh, for several weeks as we enter Job, Psalms, and Proverbs. But you're going to be reading Esther, and Esther is the, the most unique book in the Bible. Did you know that, Pastor Hayden? No, I didn't. It is Tell me why. the most unique. You actually know the why. <laughs> I do. Um, it's okay. Though. The most unique book in the Bible because it is the only book of the Bible where God is not mentioned by name. Mm -hmm. It's actually the last book added to the canon because of uncertainty ab about it. But what we are supposed to do as readers and what you need to do this in the, this week is to pay attention and to see God clearly in the book of Esther as you're looking for his hand, his active hand that's happening. So you're looking for, quote unquote, coincidences and reversals, life reversals, people who are low who become high and people who are high become low in, in status. But real quick, if you read the word Esther, well, Esther is her Persian name, which means either star or maybe some other god. But her Hebrew mean is Hadassah, which is Hebrew for myrtle tree. Okay, that's nothing much, except for if you read Isaiah 41, 19 and 55, 13, God is going to replant Israel. And in this, there's some trees that are mentioned, including the myrtle tree. And it's a symbol of the recovery of Israel by God's hand. So even in her Jewish name, God is showing what he is going to do in this book. 
Now, quick background on the book of Esther. This is during the post-exilic era where the exile is now it's already happened, but they're return, they've already returned to the promised land. So there have been waves of the Jewish people leaving the Persian Empire, formerly the Babylonian Empire, going back to the promised land. Now, this is during the Persian Empire, so roughly 539 to 331 B.C., um, and this potentially took place between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. And again, this takes place after the Persians. King Cyrus already allowed the Jewish people to start to return to go home. And the emperor of Persia, as we see in this book, is Xerxes, also known as, I'm going to try real hard to pronounce this, um, As- I can't even try. <laughs> He's known through history, it's a funny name, I can't do it, but Xerxes, I can do. But the, the purpose of Esther, when you're reading, you know, these 10 very fast-moving chapters, is to highlight God's... Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus, thank you. Ahasuerus. What you said. It, the, the point of this book, though... It's not to know Xerxes' other name. It's to highlight God's providence over world history and his faithfulness with his people. So some of the characters, you're going to meet Xerxes, the Persian emperor, who's kind of a drunkard, who has a lot of power. That's the emphasis. He's a very powerful guy, but even God can control a very powerful man. You have uh, Queen uh, Vashti, who is the queen who refused to come into Xerxes' presence and was replaced by Esther. You have Haman, who is a direct descendant of King Aga, who was an Amalekite. Now, if you remember who the Amalekites were, King Aga was the one that King Saul was supposed to kill in 1 Samuel, but didn't. And if you remember back in your DBR in Exodus, the Amalekites waged war against Israel when they left um, left Egypt. When they were in their exodus from Egypt to Israel, the Amalekites attacked Israel when they weren't supposed to. So even now, the Amalekites are waging war, an ancient war, against Israel. Uh, and then another, the other characters are Esther, as you already met her, but also Mordecai, which is his name means, his Persian name means follower of Marduk. Not of Yahweh, but of Marduk. But he's of the tribe of Benjamin. And this is important because you're going to see Mordecai versus Haman, uh, a Jew versus an Amalekite. It's the house of Saul, remember Saul was the, from the tribe of Benjamin, who follows the Torah versus the Amalekites, who Saul was supposed to wipe out and who's Israel's enemy. So there's this even... Uh, throwbacks to the earlier parts of the uh, the daily Bible reading. But here's a quick outline of Esther because we've got to move quickly. You know, the first two chapters is Esther replacing uh, Vashti as the queen. But then uh, next two chapters, chapter two to four, is the plot to exterminate the Jews. That's, that's the, it's the extermination. Haman tried to wipe them out off the map. But Verses chapters four to uh, chapters ten of Esther, Israel survives through God's intervention through Esther and Mordecai, and this is where the feast of Purim. Uh, I can't even say that Purim. one. Right? Purim is Purim. established. Is established, and this is potentially the feast that Jesus went to in John chapter five. But this is also it mentions Mordecai's fame through the empire in the last chapter of the book. But this is important because. The Malachites are trying to wipe out the Israelites. The the Satan was trying to use uh, Nahum, Haman, excuse me, Haman, to destroy the seed that was promised. Remember, if the Jewish people are wiped out, guess what? Doesn't who doesn't come? Jesus. Jesus doesn't come if Haman is successful. And so God even intervened through world history to protect the seed that was promised, which became Jesus Christ, who crushed the head of the serpent. Which is a good reason we have this book, right? It's just this idea that Christ. That, that God is always in this and he's going to uh, sustain his people because of his promises. And so that's the key teaching of the book. 
God is in control and he's active and he's faithful. So the key key text when you bump into it is Esther chapter 4, verse 13 to 5, 1. And this is the conversation with Mordecai and Esther. And Mordecai's trying to convince Esther to go before the king. And it is the famous line that Mordecai tells Esther, you know, isn't this the... Um, perhaps. Perhaps. Where am I? I'm trying to find my notes. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this to deliver the Jewish people. And the Esther eventually responds, and then I will go before the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. It's an example for us Christians to do the right thing according to what God has for us. For us now, it's to make disciples, proclaim the gospel. And if we perish, we perish. But you know, it's the time for people to be saved, to be delivered. And so let us be the gospel-preaching people that we need to B. All right. Well, also what's going to happen is that you're going to jump into the book of Job. I'm not going to cover it right now, but I want to give you a, I want to set you up for success with the book of Job because for a lot of people, they hate this book of the Bible. They try to go over it. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible because you know, with this, this is a great evangelistic book to talk to either atheists or people who are struggling with the problem of evil. The first book I point people to is the book of Job. But a couple things I want you to know about this book. First thing is, this is probably the first book of the Bible written. This is a very ancient book, and you can, you can treat this like a prequel, a prologue to the to Genesis, to the rest of the, the Bible, to the, the narrative, to the story of the Bible, because it's going to help us understand the rest of the Bible. Job asks the right questions humans need to ask about the world. The Bible answers it, but Job is the one that helps sets us up with the right questions. And it's a great book to point people who are struggling with the problem of you know, evil throughout the world. Now, there's a couple background things I want you to know. One is that there's a heavenly court scene that happens in the beginning of the book. Satan challenges God that there's no one righteous. The only reason Job is righteous because he loves you. So God puts... And because you've done good things for him, right? That's right. Yeah. And here's the thing. Someone gets on trial. Well, God's on trial, but who put God on trial? God put himself on trial to prove a point that he is right. And so we'll touch on that in the weeks to come. But also with Job's friends, you need to understand that they are probably the smartest people living in that time period. They, each friend has a different worldview that tries to make sense of the world. One of them has a worldview of through making sense of the world through history, another one philosophy, and another one through science to say, this is how the world works if you just look it through this lens. And Job is going, no, it's not. There's something more. We have to understand more. And Job is right, but he just needs God to reveal it to him. And so as you're reading the book of Job, you need to remember this, you know, this line as you're reading through that this is the purpose of the book, to prove God is right. Again, to prove God is right. Now, there's a helpful resource if you really want to dive deep. There's uh, several lectures, I mean, at least 17 to 20 lectures by a uh, professor and actually the current president of Masters University, Abner Chow. His lectures on Job are on the SoundCloud website or app for free. So if you type in Abner Chow Job Lectures, this will give you a deep insight on the book of Job if you want to go that route. But something that he mentions, I want to mention to you, is that if he said if Job read the letter to the Romans, he would have cried with joy because a lot of things that Job asks for, he asks for a redeemer, he asks for a good judge, he asks for someone to stand on an advocate on his behalf. All the things he asks for throughout the book, Jesus fulfills 
perfectly. And so I can't wait to dive into the book of Job with you next week. All right, Pastor Hayden, we have several announcements. So you want to take on the next couple announcements as you, uh, as we open a couple things here at Compass. Yep. In our lobby, you're going to notice we have two brand new areas that we have uh, curated for you for the benefit of our church, for the uh, for the uh, hope and for us nurturing community, discipleship. Uh, and so one of those is the Compass Bookstore. You're going to see that in the lobby, and it's open on Sundays. And right now we are selling ESV Bibles and study Bibles. Bibles. That's right. And we want you guys to make sure you have an ESV Bible to take with you to study God's Word and to bring it with you on Sundays. It's a great gift to also buy for others, maybe your kiddos. Uh, but we also are going to start having other books in there over the next couple of weeks of books that we think are going to be so helpful for your growth in, in your faith. And so we are, uh, are going to be putting some of those books together soon. So be on the lookout for other titles to add to your library. And on the opposite side of the library, you're going to see something we opened up just this morning, Compass Coffee Co., and uh, that is just a coffee shop that we have open to create an environment for community. I mean, we're not here for the sake of coffee. We're here for the sake of the gospel. And we want this coffee shop to create an environment for community and discipleship. And we have more information on the coffee shop as it opens up throughout the week in the next few weeks. But right now it's open on Sundays before and after both services. So make sure you stop by, grab some coffee, and we'll give you some updates when the coffee shop will be open throughout the week. But even though the coffee shop is not open right now throughout the week, our lobby is. So we want you guys to use the lobby uh, for discipleship, for meetings. And so make sure that you stop by the lobby throughout the week. And we're, that, that lobby is open every single day, Monday through Friday, from 9 to at least 5. And so just like a normal uh, store, it's open. So make sure you come utilize our Compass Lobby. We got a couple other things, Pastor Evan. Yeah, first and foremost, coming this, starting this Tuesday, our summer kids camps kick off. Woo! So we are starting this Tuesday with Science Camp, the following week, Art Camp, and then on July 12th, our VBS Light Camp, Camp Compass. Now, registrations are still open, so still... But they're filling up? They're filling up fast. So continue to invite or make sure you register your incoming first to fifth grader. And we know that they can do a lot around town. They can go to different camps and have fun, go to the river, go to the lake, and do a lot of fun things here in New Braunfels. This is a vacation spot of Texas. But what they're not going to get anywhere else outside the church is God's Word. And so we are going to be teaching these kids God's Word and how science, art, and life all point to the glory of God and how they need to be confronted with the truth of the gospel. Now, on June 25th, ladies, there is a women's breakfast happening at 10 a.m. at Compass Bible Church where, you know, Pastor Hayden, your wife will be preaching. Yeah. What should be preaching on? She'll be preaching on James chapter 3 and talking about the dangers of the tongue. So if you guys know some other women who are in need of some community, which is every woman who uh, loves the Lord, and even those who don't know the Lord yet, they need community. So bring them here June 25th at 10 a.m. at Compass Bible Church for fellowship, breakfast, and worship, and a message. So we look forward to seeing all the gals there. And Compass Bible Church, we are so grateful for you guys. Looking forward to seeing how God is going to use you to uh, make disciples here in the hill country. We're going to see you guys next time.